Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have brought us into your goodness and your grace. You have freed us from slavery to sin and made us your servants. Let us be ever mindful of this in all of our relationships, that all that we do, we would know you as our master and shepherd. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the things in this world that I think that I'm eminently good at is winning shower arguments. You know what those are, right? Where you you have a weird conversation with somebody, maybe it was a little terse or, or something like that, and then that night or the next morning, whenever you shower, you're kind of processing it. And as you think about it, you come up with all of these amazing arguments to absolutely just eviscerate whoever it was. I'm really smart 24 hours after I have one of these conflicts. But I also find that whenever I don't approach a conflict with gentleness and kindness, it's kind of like those cartoons where you're walking through and, and the guy steps on the rake and it like bounces and hits him in the head. There's like a zero contact time for the ramifications of me losing my patience. It's like the moment I lose my patience, something horrible inevitably happens. St. Peter starts our lesson this morning with the exhortation of servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Of course, this is a really challenging thing to hear, isn't it? Like, we want to be right. We want to stand up for ourselves and say, no, I am amazing, and you all need to know that I'm amazing. But, but that's not what St. Peter says to do. He doesn't say, you know, go win that argument. He says, be subject to your masters. And, and I want to point out something here that we lose in our English translation. Is that St. Peter is kind of doing a little wordplay. Immediately before, as you might remember from last Sunday, he says that we are servants of God. And then he turns around and says, servants, be subject to your masters. And we lose it because we don't have a lot of words that mean servant in English. Um, and I know, because I know some of the translators of the ESV, not personally, but at least tertiarily, they avoided intentionally using the word slave, but that's actually really what they're talking about here. Be a, you're a slave of God, and now slaves be subject to your masters. And they, they, they changed it because of the Western world's really unpleasant history with slavery, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But it's two separate words. And even though I, when I was researching it, it doesn't say, well, this is one class of slave and this is another class of slave. I think he's using this intentionally to make it really clear to us that you may be a servant, and I don't think any of us have ever been servants, but you may be a servant, but you're a servant to somebody even greater first. And so he intentionally uses two separate words to make it really clear that yes, you may be a servant and your master may be amazing or they may be terrible, but ultimately you serve a far 
far better master. Ultimately, you belong to somebody far better than anybody in this world, anything in this world that you could ever imagine. <clears throat> but as I mentioned, this is, this is talking about slaves in the old Roman world, and it's not a tacit approval of slavery. It's not saying, you know, slavery is just fine, as, as was unfortunately passages like these have been used for in, in, in the past. But rather, it's to those people who don't have an option to get out of that. For those of us who have power to speak about against un injustice, we have the, 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 we should speak against injustice. We shouldn't encourage it. But when injustice happens to us, we bear with it, as St. Peter goes on to describe in this passage. We bear with it in whatever circumstance the Lord has put us in, our calling our goal and our desire is to do good, is to live to the glory of God. Because our suffering binds us to Christ. Our suffering allows us to experience Christ's suffering just a little bit so that we can dwell more intently in him. Now, as we go on, St. Peter wants to make it really, really clear don't confuse the consequences for your sin as persecution. It's like what I was describing where I just want to get really feisty and pick a fight. And almost immediately there's that sort of reaction like in the cartoons where the, that, that rake falls up and hits the cartoon character in the face. When I get feisty and I act out in sin and I pay, deal with the consequences of that, that's not me suffering for the sake of Christ. That's merely the consequences of my sin. And, and I think so often, and I know why, why I want to stop here for just a minute and make sure that that's really clear, is so often we tend to yell persecution and it's just like, well, no, you were a jerk. Take a deep breath, go apologize, and it's fine. <clears throat> so often we want to be like, we are persecuted. And it's like, no, that's not persecution. You did something and you need to repent of it. But genuine suffering... When you do good, like he says, and you suffer for it nonetheless, genuine suffering binds us to Christ. I cannot count the number of times that I've talked to somebody that's been rather ill or, talked, or just listened to accounts of those who have gone through genuine persecution and how they talk about how that time, that persecution, that sickness, or whatever, was a time that they felt intimacy with Christ. A time when they experienced Christ in a way that they never did before and haven't since. It's because as we go through that suffering, if we turn our eyes to God, he is with us through that suffering. He can turn that evil, the evil that is attempted to do unto us, to good for the sake of him and for his church and for you or I. And that is because we follow in the footsteps of Christ as we suffer. We follow in what he has gone, on, gone through before us. St. Peter ties that hardship that that servant goes through to the hardship which Christ has gone through. And then he ties the hardship of which Christ goes through to the Old Testament and points out very subtly, though for somebody who re reads the Old Testament, they'll notice it quickly, to the fact that, that Christ truly is the promised Messiah. 
Christ truly is the one that was foretold in the Old Testament, the one that would come to set his people free. And in setting his people free, Peter ties us to Christ. So Julie and I bought this, this house, and, and she's told me more than once that I am, I'm being far too kind about, about this. But the previous owners, and it, it's kind of my fault, which is why I'm being too kind, left a lot of stuff. It, it was one of those like estate things, and the poor guy didn't really know quite how to deal with it. And so I've been trumping out stuff for the last several months. Stuff, yeah, stuff might actually be a, a kind phrase for what most of it is. Um, but last night I was under the crawl space and I got a bunch of boxes and I, I think if I push really hard I'll be done but I think while I was crawling around under the crawl space and I was doing it in flip flops don't, don't judge me I, I got a nail in my foot and we went to take our dog for a walk and all of a sudden I just felt this like not in my foot in the flip flop and, and, but I felt this jabbing in my foot and I, I mumbled something not wonderful because of this nail jabbing into my foot and I was like this really hurts and then I figured out what it was and and threw the the nail away it was a staple rather but if you spent any amount of time in intimacy with somebody you see those little moments of imperfection in that person and it goes back to that thing that I just keep coming back to is, is there some critics that say, well, Peter doesn't write about Jesus the way you would expect somebody who spent three years with him to write about it. And it's like, what about what do you do with 22 especially? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And he is alluding to the Old Testament there a little bit. But he's saying that as one who spent three years with somebody, one who almost definitely saw him like stub his toe. And we've all seen our spouses stub our toes and how graciously they respond to such a thing. (laughs) We've all seen our dear friends stub their toes and it's not usually really pretty. But Jesus spent three, Peter spent three years with Jesus. He's speaking as an authority. Jesus didn't sin. He saw it. He knew it. That's amazing. And it goes back to that whole argument when we started this whole series of, well, you know, why doesn't he write about his time? He does right here. He saw it. He knows it. Unlike us, who our our spouses or our friends know our frailty and our failings. Peter was such an intimate friend. He was one of those friends that got to go up on the mountaintop in the Transfiguration, remember? Like, he was one of those intimate three friends that, that even saw that most intimate moment between the, God the Father and God the Son. So he knew Peter, or Jesus, did not sin. Peter sinned, but Jesus did not sin. And he also was there, and he saw until he ran away how he was reviled. How he, <clears throat> but yet in his revilement, he walked perfectly with God. He didn't turn around like, like you and I might be like, yeah, well, bring it on. I, I'm going to rhetorically you out of this. <clears throat> Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not have even deceit in his mouth, as the Romans said and did horrible, horrible things to him as he faced such a deep, deep shame 
Instead, he entrusted himself to his father. He entrusted himself to the just judge of the universe. And that's our hope, isn't it? When we face injustice in this world, when we cry out and say, help us in this injustice and nobody or nothing seems to answer us. The just judge will judge on the last day. And so for these servants in particular who have that unjust, that awful master, Peter says, don't worry. There is hope. Live as though your true master is God. Live and do good regardless of your circumstance. But Peter has set us up for an impossible standard. If I got up here and was like, all right, y'all, go out and do good, and that's what I left you with, by about Tuesday, you'd be like, that's terrible. I'm bad at this. At least I am. I, I, you know, by about 3 o'clock, I, I re- I'm readily aware of my sinfulness. But Peter's whole appeal isn't based on whether or not you and I can do good. Peter's whole appeal is based on what Christ has already done for us. Every single appeal that he's made for the last two chapters as we've worked our way through St. Peter's first epistle has it based on what has already been done for us, to us, and in us. He goes on and notes that he, that is Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Remember how I told you a few minutes ago how the, we have a new master in Christ? St. Paul especially picks up on this, how before our conversion we're slaves to sin, but then in Christ we're made slaves to God. We're freed from sin, we're given freedom, which St. Peter talked about last week as we worked our way through this, that we might serve God in a free conscience, that we might do good in this world. But that's because sin no longer has a claim on our life because of what Christ has done in us. And here's another hopeful thing, that by his wounds, you have been healed. Sin, as I'm sure you well know by now, causes pain. Whether it's internal pain because you hurt someone or external pain because someone hurt you, sin causes pain. That's where pain in this world comes from. It's from all that messiness of dealing with other human beings because we say things and do things either intentionally or unintentionally that hurt other people, and we are hurt by it. But Christ's death on the cross not only frees us from sin, It heals us. His wounds are the source of healing. Yes, in in things, there's other things that we can do that can help us work through those pain. But at the center of it is Christ's healing. And there is no wound that Christ cannot heal. There is no wound that his balm cannot relieve us of. And so we have a new master. St. Peter ends with a beautiful statement. For you were straying like sheep. 
Echoing, of course, Isaiah, for we all like sheep have gone astray. If you've listened to Messiah's, Handel's Messiah at all, you probably have that memorized. That's probably worth memorizing without Handel's Messiah. But, but we all like sheep have gone astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And again, I'm sure he's remembering that beautiful passage that we read about in St. John's Gospel, where where Jesus talks about him being the good shepherd, how him, he goes out after that one lost soul and brings it back to himself. He's our new guide, our new director. He's our new one that sees over us. He's the one that walks through us. Yea, though through the valley of death, I shall fear no evil, because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The Lord is our shepherd. No longer are we slaves to sin, but now we have that good shepherd of our soul. So it's not about what we do for Christ, but it's what our good shepherd is doing for us, to us, and in us. Our guide, our director, who returns us to the good path each and every time we stray. Beloved, You have been freed from the tyranny of the world and the tyranny of sin. What does your freedom in Christ and being cared for by the shepherd and overseer of your soul do for you? Does it change everything for you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.